If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 20. You know, after last week and our <laughs> ignominious walk along with Lot, you compare his life to Abraham's, and man, does Abraham ever look like he comes out on top. I mean, you know, this is the guy that trusted God, left his home, left his family, took his wife and his nephew, traveled 800 miles to Canaan, graciously gave his nephew the choice land, uh, chased down the enemy kings when they kidnapped his nephew, went to Melchizedek, gave the offerings, trusted God, had his name changed from Abram to Abraham, believed that God would uh, give him a child by his wife Sarah, and entertained God himself along with two angels and then prayed and pled on behalf of the people of Sodom. The real hero of Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham. And then we have to remember that Abraham was a sinner too. <laughs> Abraham also had his sinful nature that he had to struggle with. And this morning we come to a passage where that is really shown to us. Abraham still had some growing to do. He still had some learning to do. And this morning, as we come together with our covenant commitment cards in our envelopes, in our hands, stuck in our Bibles, or if we forgot them, we've grabbed a blank one and have it ready to bring at the end of the service, I think there are some things that this story has to say to us this morning. And I want you to prayerfully and carefully listen as God speaks to your heart in these next few moments that we have together. Abraham had already had a couple of um, lapses, I guess we could call them, in his life. There was the incident with Pharaoh when he said that Sarah was not his wife, she was his sister. And there was the incident with Hagar where rather than trusting that God would give him and Sarah a child, he tried to short-circuit that. And then we come to chapter 20 and we find out that he is making the exact same mistake again. The very self-same mistake that he had made with Pharaoh decades earlier, he does again. And the scripture that was just read a few minutes ago to us tells us the story that Abraham, after he has this encounter with God, after God shares with him that, that, that this time in about a year, Sarah is going to have a child. And basically God says, save me a piece of cake for the, <laughs> for the baby shower. I want to be there for it. Abraham picks up his tent and begins to move south. This is part of Abraham's life. He is a nomad. He is wandering throughout this land that he believes that God is eventually going to give him. And he ends up in the southern region, settling between Kadesh and Shur, and living in a place called Gerar. And in verse 2 of chapter 20, it says, When he lived there, Abraham said about his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Has Abraham learned nothing? In these decades between the time that he had this encounter with Pharaoh, when Pharaoh accused him, threw him out of the country because he had lied to him, and here he is doing it again. And I ask myself, why? Why would a man who had believed God so much that God counted it to him, accredited him as righteousness, why would he lie? Well, I think probably what it was, was this was just one of those things that Abraham got in the habit of doing. Matter of fact, if you look further down in the passage, when he's talking to Abimelech, he said, 
I, I said to my wife, this is in verse 13, so when God had me wander from my father's house, I said to her, show your loyalty to me wherever we go and say about me, he's my brother. This was something that Abraham was in the habit of doing. And to be honest with you, I think that Abraham did not even think about how untrusting this lie really was. Now for us reading the story, it makes perfect sense, but Abraham had just gotten in the habit of this is how we will make sure that when we are traveling in areas that don't fear God and we're afraid that maybe they'll try to kill me to get you, we'll just tell them you're my sister. After all, that's a half-truth. You're my half-sister, so we'll call you my sister. And then maybe they'll leave you alone. Well, it had failed once with Pharaoh, but I guess it must have worked other times because here they are trusting that God is going to give Sarah a child, and he lies as if God wasn't strong enough to protect him. And not only that, but he pulls Sarah into the lie too. Now, if you really love me, sweetie, I need you to do something for me. I need you to tell a little white lie for me. Will you do that for me? You love me, don't you? you you'll do what I want, won't you? Look how I've taken care of you, and I've walked with you, and we've been together all these years, and I just need you to just, just, just tell the boss I'm sick today, will you? You know? Tell the teacher I can't be at school today, Mom. Would you do that? So often, we catch ourselves dragging other people into our sins. And I'll get back to that in just a couple of minutes. But here is Abraham, the great father of faithful, not only not trusting God himself, but then dragging Sarah into the lie as well. Well, let's look at what happens. In verse 3 of chapter 20, God came to Abimelech. Wait, sorry, let me go back to the end of verse 2. Abraham said about his wife, Sarah, she's my sister. So what happened? Abimelech, king of Gerar, had Sarah brought to him. Now, I got to tell you here, I don't think this was because she was some hot-looking 90-year-old. Now, she might have been. I don't know. But my guess is this had more to do with finances than with physical attraction. I mean, think about it. This is the Abraham that just back a few chapters ago in chapter 14 was able to muster up a group of, of 318 trained men, all born in his household. 318 male servants that were able to go out and fight, not to mention their wives, their kids, all of the cattle, all of this, the, the flocks that he had. Abraham was a very, very affluent man. And I have a feeling that Abimelech was not thinking so much about, I want this woman for my wife, as much as it was, well, you know what? If I do this poor little lady a favor and take her into my harem, then that will bind me to Abraham. And he's not going to live forever. I mean, the dude's 100 years old. He has no offspring, so he has nobody to accept his inheritance. And all of Abraham's wealth will be taken into my treasury. So he takes Sarah in to be his wife, to be part of his harem. And without getting too graphic, we know that whenever a king would take a new woman into his harem, there was a certain um, act that went on to affirm that. And so Abimelech is prepared to make her one of his many wives, but there's an intervention that takes place in verse 3. God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, You are about to die because of the woman you have taken, for she is a married woman. Now, Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, would you destroy a nation even though it is innocent? Didn't he say himself to me, she is my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother? I did this with a clear conscience and clean hands. 
So, so far, we have a story of some deception here. And on the human level, we have a man who doesn't trust this foreign king, so he lies to him, thinking that will get him out of any trouble. But instead, it backfires on him, as lies so often do. This sister of his now is taken, and Abraham is laying in his tent, lying in his tent that night, thinking to himself, man, have I ever messed up. Have I ever messed up? Because now, beloved, in case you haven't thought about this, this is not the same Sarah that we had a few years ago with Pharaoh. That Sarah was barren. Now God has told Abraham, your wife is going to give birth to a child. She's barren no more. And Abraham is lying in his tent thinking to himself, my wife is now about to become the wife of the king of Gerar. I have really messed up. I have really, really messed up. But you see, this story has multiple layers. We can look at it at this human level, just like we've done, and we have a story about a man who lied, thought he'd get away with it, it backfired, and now he's in trouble. But there's a spiritual level to this story as well. Because you see, God had made a promise, not just to Abraham. God had made a promise to Eve that her offspring would bruise the serpent's head. And the one who inhabited that serpent, Satan himself, had heard that promise. And it was everything that he could do. It was his total purpose of his existence as Satan, as the enemy of God, to do everything he could to try to thwart God's plans. So here is Satan. He sees this Abraham. I'm not sure that Satan knew everything that was going on. He's not omniscient. All he could do is listen, observe. But he knows that God has a special plan for Abraham. He knows that Abraham is a descendant of, Se- of, of, of um, Shem, excuse me, the son of Noah, the blessed son, the one that would carry the promise. He knows that God has called him out and brought him down to Canaan. He's heard God say to Abraham, I'll be back this time next year and your, do- your wife will have a child And Satan says, I've got to put a stop to this any way I can. So now, not barren Sarah, but fertile Sarah is suddenly in the harem of King Abimelech. And all it would take would be one night with the king. And now we wonder, whose child is this? Is Abraham the father or is Abimelech the father? And Satan is rubbing his hands in glee. But he forgot one thing, and that is that God is always more powerful than the enemy. God is always more powerful than Satan. So what does it say? Abimelech is saying, hey, hey, I'm innocent, clear conscience, clean hands. So in verse 6, God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience. That is why I have kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I have not let you touch her. You see that? God says, I knew you were innocent. I knew you were just a pawn in the hand of someone else. So I'm the one that prevented you from being able to sleep with her. You haven't even touched her. 
Verse 7, now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. He will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return to her, know that you will certainly die, you and all who are yours. Now, we'll get back to that you will live and you will die in just a second. Let's keep reading the passage. Early in the morning, Abimelech got up, called his servants together, personally told them all these things, and the men were terrified. Terrified, it says. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said to him, What have you done to us? How did I sin against you that you have brought such enormous guilt on me and on my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. Abimelech also said to Abraham, What did you intend when you did this thing? Abraham replied, I thought there is absolutely no fear of God at this place. They will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So when God had me wander from my father's house, I said to her, show your loyalty to me wherever we go and say about me, he's my brother. You see, Abraham made an assumption, didn't he? Abraham assumed there was no fear of God in this land. And the truth be known, they feared God more than Abraham did. They had a greater fear of God than Abraham the man of promise, the man of faith had. So what happens next? Abimelech took sheep and cattle and male and female slaves, gave them to Abraham and returned his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, look, my land is before you. Settle wherever you want. And he said to Sarah, look, I am giving your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Isn't it funny? He calls him her brother, your brother, a thousand pieces of silver, which, by the way, was a tremendous amount of money. Enough for 50 brides. It is a verification of your honor to all who are with you. You are fully vindicated. In other words, I am giving you this money to say, number one, you did not seduce me, and number two, I have not slept with you. I have not touched you. And I'm giving a thousand silver pieces as proof of that. Then Abraham prayed to God. Now listen to the next line. Verse 17. Look at your Bibles. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves so that they could bear children. For the Lord had completely closed all the wombs in Abimelech's household on account of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, I want us to think about that just for a minute, and we're going to come back and draw some application. How many people, how many men could father children in Abimelech's household, in his harem? The answer is easy, one, and that was Abimelech. No one could touch the king's wives except the king. No one could impregnate the king's wives except the king. And so, in its essence, by God disabling Abimelech from being able to sleep with Sarah, he also had, in essence, shut all the wombs of all the women in the household because there was no other way they could bear children if Abimelech could not father them. So what I believe God did was God caused Abimelech to be unable to perform this act with Sarah. And God says, you and your offspring are going to die because you're not going to be able to have any more children. You're not going to be able to give any more women in your household a baby. And so your entire household will cease to exist unless you do what I tell you to and return this woman to her husband. So God healed Abimelech. Now, does it shock you that In all of this, God still calls Abraham a prophet and tells Abimelech that Abraham, the man who offended you, the man who lied to you, the man who almost got you a dead man, is going to pray for you and you'll be healed. Well, that'll be part of our application in just a second. So here we have the story at two levels. We have the story at the level of the human, 
Abraham was scared. They'll kill me for my wife, take all my possessions. I'll say she's my sister. They'll leave us alone. But instead, Abimelech says, okay, I'll take her, make her my wife so that eventually I can get Abraham's inheritance. It all backfires. And then we pull back a layer and look at what's going on spiritually. Satan is trying to step between Abraham and Sarah and bring question into her offspring now that she is able to bear children. Miracle of miracles. And God then intervenes, disables Abimelech from being able to father a child with Sarah in order to protect not Abraham, not Sarah, not even Isaac, to protect his own honor, his own glory, in order to keep his promise that he had made not only to Abraham, but to Eve. And God wins. Now, just a few observations, okay? Some observations and then a final application. Number one, in our lives, yours and mine, there are often times where although we believe God, we trust God, we rely on Him, there are patterns in our lives. There are habits that we have adopted in our lives that betray our lack of trust in God. I have them, and I'll bet you do too. I'm almost sure that we do. I don't know about you. Well, yeah, I do because I know about me. When we first got our Ensure the Vision commitment card, even though I'm your pastor, my first thought was, now I wonder how I can rework my budget so that I can give some more to, in order to help our church pay off its debt and do some of these capital things. I wonder what I could do to arrange my resources so I could do more for God. Beloved, that's not what God asks us to do at all. God says, you need to ask me and let me do something that only I can do. You say, well, now, wait a minute, Pastor. Doesn't the Bible say we shouldn't put God to the test? Listen, this is not about God, us putting God to the test. This is about God putting us to the test. God is saying to us, will you trust me to do something that you can't do? And so we come to the point where we say, well, if I were to, if I were to commit to give that, that's humanly impossible. That's, ex that's exactly what God wants us to say. That's humanly impossible. You see, what Abraham was doing is he trusted God, but he still thought, yeah, but I better hedge my bet a little bit here. I'll, I'll just tell this little white lie just to keep us safe, just to protect us. I trust God, but we do the same thing. And not only that, second observation is when we start to do that, we often pull other people into our sin with us. Abraham couldn't lie alone, could he? He had to get Sarah to lie also for her to say, yes, he's my brother. And so whether she wanted to or not, he said, look, if you really love me, you'll do this. And there are lots and lots and lots of times when we also, as we are tempted to sin, as we fall into sinful patterns, we bring other people in. It could be our spouses, it could be our children, it could be our friends, it could be our coworkers. And right on the heels of that is the observation that, just like in this story, the person who was at the biggest risk was not Abraham, it was Sarah. And oftentimes our sins that we draw other people into, they are the ones that tend to be victimized and hurt more by our sin than we are. 
How many times have we as fathers sinned and our children have felt the effect of our sin? Our wives have felt the effect of our sin. Not just us. It affects them as well. Fourthly, at a deeper level, Satan knows God's promises to you and to me. Satan knows God's word probably, no, I'm certain, better than we do. He knows what God has promised us, and his goal is to do everything he can to thwart God's promises coming into effect in our lives so that our faith will be doubted, so that our effectiveness will be doubted, so that our ability to serve God will be put into question. And Satan is constantly taking those little sins of ours, those little patterns that we have, those little things that we do, those weaknesses that he knows we have, and uses them to try to thwart God's effectiveness in our lives. Every one of us have those patterns, those weak spots, those areas where we are prone to wander. And if you think Satan doesn't know what those things are, then you're just deceiving yourself. He knows the weaknesses in this church. Not only our individuals, but corporately, he knows where we're weak. And he plays on that. He didn't care about us. He couldn't care less about us. We're already in God's camp. What he cares about is thwarting the purposes of God in our lives and then out from us into the lives of others. But God is stronger than the enemy. I don't know, Scripture doesn't tell us, whether that night lying in that tent, thinking about the mistake he had made, Abraham cried out to God for forgiveness or not. I don't know that. But I'll tell you what I do know. I do know that when I let my sin get in the way of what God has promised for me and I cry out to him and say, Lord, please forgive me. I'm sorry I didn't trust you. I'm sorry that I put myself, my own self-preservation ahead of you. I'm sorry that my, my selfishness, my pride, uh, whatever it may be, has rendered me useless in your service. Please forgive me and restore me. God says, that's exactly what I was waiting for. And he steps in. He stops the work of the enemy. Puts me back where he wants me to be. And the blessings and the spirit and the strength and the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and all of those fruit begin to show in my life again. There is a spiritual battle going on over you today. In your hands, you have a card. Satan has done everything he can. Not because he cares about how much money we commit today. I really don't think Satan cares a lot about that. What Satan cares is about, can I teach you not to trust your Heavenly Father? Can I teach you, can I convince you to depend on your own resources, your own abilities? And if you're like me, you had to get up and say to the Lord, Lord, I am sorry. I have only thought about what I was capable of doing. I haven't trusted you. And the last thing I want to say about that, and I want you to hear me very, very well on this, even when we allow Satan to use our weaknesses to trap us into sin, Our position with God does not change. I know. 
There are times when I have felt there's no way God can love me for what I've done. There's no way God could ever forgive me for what I've done. There's no way that God could use me now after what I've done. There's no way that God could ever, ever, ever bring me back to himself after all the things that I have done. And I'm sure you've thought that before too. Well, I've got good news for you. (laughs) Even though Abraham lied again, even though Abraham almost put the future of his entire offspring into jeopardy, God still said, he is my prophet. And no matter what it is that you have done, it doesn't mean that God is pleased with you. (laughs) By no means. There have been many times when God has been very displeased with me. But his love for me and my position in him through Christ never changes. And so I say to you today, call out to him. If you're away from him, call out to him. If you've allowed temptation, if you've allowed the enemy to lure you, to trap you, to trick you into falling into sin in order to make God's blessing in your life ineffective, cry out to him. You're his child. You're his son, his daughter. And he will respond. Now, in just a minute, after we pray, we're going to have a song. And during that song, I'm going to ask you, even though I'm not there with you physically, I'm going to ask you, please, to come forward with your envelopes, your covenant card inside of it, and lay it there on the platform. But before you do, I want you to ask yourself, what did I put on the card that's in this envelope? Did I put what I felt like I, my family, we as a couple could finagle our finances to be able to do? Okay. But is that a human-sized commitment or is that a God-sized commitment? You say, now, Pastor, what do you want me to do? I want to tell you exactly what I want you to do. I want you to do the very same thing that Sharon and I did. And this is going to sound a little bit odd to some of you, but it's not odd at all. I want you to take just a couple of minutes, and I'm going to give you that time in just a second. I want you to take a couple of minutes, and I want you to say, Lord, the number on this card was my human-sized, even though it's going to stretch us, it's going to test us, It's a human-sized commitment. What would you want us to commit? You say, Pastor, I live paycheck to paycheck. No, 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 you don't understand. God can do exceedingly, abundantly more than you can ask or even imagine. I don't know how he'll do it. I don't know how he's going to do what he's given us to put on our card. There is no way that we can afford what we've put on our card this morning. I'm just being honest with you. There's no way in our budget that we can squeeze enough blood out of that turnip to get into a check what God has told us he wants us to commit. We have to trust him. And I don't know how he's going to do it, but I trust him. And rather than being frightened that I won't be able to keep my commitment, I'm excited to see how he's going to keep his. Because this is his commitment now, not mine. And Sharon and I are anxiously, and I think even a little excitedly, going to be watching to see how God is going to do this thing. So for some of you, after you spend that two minutes, you're going to have to either open up that envelope and change that card or grab another card and add 
X number of dollars more. Put it in an envelope and bring two envelopes or whatever you choose to do. But I don't want you to leave here today with a God, with a man-sized, a human-sized commitment. I want you to let God speak into your heart. And I promise you, if you're listening, the Holy Spirit will lead you. And you're going to go, no, 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 no. I can't write that down. And the Holy Spirit's going to say, yes, you can. You're not putting me to the test. I'm putting you to the test. So I'm going to stop right now, and I'm going to bow my head, and I'm going to pray for you silently for two minutes. And in those two minutes, I want you and your spouse, you as an individual, maybe even you as a family, to get together and say, Lord, what is it that you want us to do? Okay? All right. I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll have a closing word of prayer together. you bow your heads. Close your eyes. Let's pray together. Father, I know that for some of us to make a commitment, a covenant with you to trust you with finances beyond our ability to fulfill is very, very difficult. For years, it was nigh on to impossible for me. But Father, I am convinced to the depth of my soul that you will never be able to show us your power as long as we trust merely in our own resources. I do not know. I have no idea how you are going to enable Sharon and me to give what we have committed to you this year. 
because we just don't have the resources to do it. It's going to have to come from you. But we believe, she and I do with all of our hearts, that the amount that you gave us to put on our covenant card is what you want us to trust you for. And yes, Father, it is two and a half times our original commitment. And I have no idea where it's going to come from. But I'm trusting you, and I'm excited to see what you're going to do. Now, there are people sitting in this room right now who are shaking, if not on the outside, on the inside, because they have heard that still small voice in their hearts. And it is scaring them. And they're saying, I don't want to let my church down. And they don't understand yet that it's not about them. It's about you. This is your church. And if you are encouraging them to change the amount on their card, to add a second card to it, whatever you choose to have them do. Lord, we want to see you work. We need to see you work in our midst. And I pray that you will help us to stop trusting ourselves. Stop trying to help you out. And let you work in our midst. For us in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Now before we finish, let me say this. You know me, I'm always thinking logistically. There may not be a card around you that you can exchange for the card that you filled out this morning before you came. That's okay. That's okay. Because we have been praying. There are people who have been up all night praying. They have been boldly praying that we as a church family will commit to $250,000 this next year. Beloved, that's, <laughs> that's half again our budget. I don't think there's any way we can humanly do that. But I believe that God can do it. And we're going to gather all these cards up now as we sing. We're going to give them to Rita Trantham, our financial secretary, and Steve Conrad, our church treasurer. Actually, Rita will actually see the ones because she'll see the names, and she alone. The number will be totaled, and I'll be given an envelope, and in that envelope will be the total, and that envelope will stay sealed until Thanksgiving. Rita will continue to get additional commitments throughout the next week and a half. And so if you say, well, you know what? We need to increase our giving, but we don't have a way to do it today. That's okay. You bring the card that you brought, and then you find one either out in the lobby or wherever or call or come by the office to get another one and, and add on to it or whatever you need to do. And the only reason I'm asking you to do that, you say, well, it's between me and the Lord. I understand that. But all, all we want to know is, has God been faithful to the total that he has asked us to give? I'm a little scared <laughs> to say that. I'm not putting God to the test, but I believe that he's putting us to the test. So if you can't do that right now this morning, I understand. That's okay. But please, before we get to Thanksgiving, a week from Tuesday, make sure that you have, whether it's an anonymous or whether you've got your name on it, really that doesn't matter to me. I'm not really sure it matters to the Lord. But what does matter is that we know that God has acted on our behalf and done for us what we could not do for ourselves. God bless you. Let's sing together.
Let's bring our covenants to the Lord as we sing, and let's go out with joy because we are His children. And even though we wander from Him, our position in Him never changes. So go out in that, new, in that truth and the joy that it gives. God bless you.